welcome to this final fourth part episode of a series with Rabbi Joseph Dweck in which he discusses and describes the relationship between God and Yisrael. In this fourth and final episode, he describes the notion of deen, judgment. Enjoy! with how, how Hazal deal with um, And that is from Pesukim, right, that they bring in. Pesukim, it's funny, everybody's watching TV while I'm talking. Very interesting. Interesting experience. Um, so we have to know that they are getting this from the Pesukim, and that they, these are their understandings, right, of how it is that the, the judgment occurs, and they see these uh, these understandings rooted in certain pesukim. Some of the pesukim, interestingly, are not even from the Torah itself, right? Meaning the Hamisha Chumshei Torah. Some of them are from the Nevi'im, some of them for Sefer Yob. And so Hazal are, are almost bringing together, painting this picture as to how it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges us. Um, we're not gonna deal with tonight uh, in detail how they know this, right? We're going to look at it as though this is how the Hachamim taught. Right, so whatever it is that we're we're learning tonight is the accepted understanding of how it is that judgment occurs between God and Israel, and Harambam uh, establishes these things in his Hilchot Teshuvah. So what we're going to look at tonight are the established, accepted uh, um, ideas, terms with regards to how it is that Hakadosh Baruch who deals with our lives and judgment. Um, and we're going to look at how it is that Harambam presents it, right? How it is that he ultimately brought it forth from the Talmud and how it is that the Talmud put it, put it out. So we're going to start with this how, right? Uh, or really, more accurately, what? Right? What is the nature of this judgment? Yeah. Um, and then we'll get into more of the questions of how and what it is that it deals with. So this is quite textually based. Tonight, so I'm, you know, people are going to have to pay attention to the uh, to the sources. I think that I'm going to have to share a screen here for everyone. Uh, okay, so I would prefer that, but I'm not. Function C, Control C. There it is. We put it in there. Somebody put it. Mac user, can I tell you? Okay, uh, but did I shut? Yeah, I shut the video, sorry. Okay, so we're gonna start here with Hilchot Teshubah. This is the third period, third chapter of Hilchot Teshubah. And what Harambam does at the beginning, do you want me to also share the screen? Or what do you think? I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, yeah. What, what which one? The actual uh, page. This, this, this. No. Oh, yes. That's big. There. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is the third parak of Hilchot Teshubah, and Harambam says, in the beginning, he's just defining terms. And what he has to do first is to talk about who is a tzaddik and who is a rasha. 
because that's really the nature of the judgment, right? I mean, who's a tzaddik and who's a rasha? So he just defines terms. He said, look, every human being has what we call zichuyot and avonot. It is important to recognize that he does not say everybody has mitzvot and averot. So don't just read zichuyot and avonot as synonyms for mitzvot and averot. Right? I'll explain why in a moment, but it's important to recognize that's the case. Everybody has zichuyot and avonot. Tzaddik. Very clear term, right? Whoever has more zechut than avon is called a tzaddik. That's what a tzaddik means. So if anybody's wondering what is, the, what is a tzaddik, what's the definition of a tzaddik, in legal terms, when it's dealing with judgments, determining the, the, the status of an individual, it's just a question of what is the majority, right? What is the overarching or the, the, the most prominent aspect of this individual? If the most prominent or the overarching majority of this individual is what we call zikhut, is it tzaddik? If it's the alternative, it's the opposite. If a person has more avon than zikhut, he's a rasha. And then he says, well, there are also situations in which a person can result in one's life as not having anything overarching. Right? That there's no prominent aspect in this individual, that he's pretty much uh, homogeneous, pretty much average by definition, 50-50 evens out, right? Why well, say 50-50? It doesn't mean like, you know, to the decimal. It's just that there's nothing significantly standing out in this person's life on either side. So they do avodot, they do... Uh, do they have zechuyot? Uh, they have avonot. It's kind of, kind of, uh, you know, evens out. A person who evens out is called a benoni. He's by definition average. That's literally what benoni means. Okay. Okay. So Harambam then says, not only is this the case for individual human beings, it is also the case for specific aggregates of human beings, right? So humans in aggregate can also be judged, right? Can also be looked at in terms of their zikhut and avon, right? What is the uh, emergent zikhut and avon of the aggregate of people, yeah? How does it manifest overall? Is there an overwhelming zikhut status of the aggregate or is an overwhelming avon status of the aggregate? And that will determine whether the aggregate is considered Sadiq or Rasha. What aggregate? Well, you know, self-organizing human aggregates. So uh, countries, cities, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So for example, Harambam says Medina is the same. A state, city, country, right, is the same. Obviously, these things are determined by us, right? These cities and states and countries, I mean, you know, so he gives an example of Sedom. Sedom was a city-state. It wasn't like we don't have necessarily many equivalents of those things today, right? Is Vatican City a Medina? Right? Who knows? But they essentially are determined by us. When we define a certain aggregate, when we say we are a whole entity, well, then Kadosh Baruch Hu says, well, I'm going to look at you as an entity. You've determined yourself as an entity. We'll look at you as that entity. Yeah. So, and there's, a, there's Mekorot, by the way, in the Midrash that talk about this, that there are, that groups of individuals have real connections. 
So there's uh, actually it's used, the word habura is used, right? Has v'shalom, right? Habdil elef habdalot, not that it's no on our habura, but it says met echad min habura. If a member of a habura, which is a group of people that are haverim, right? That are connected and friends. If one of them dies, the whole group should be afraid, should be concerned. Because that means that there's something that judgment that was exacted on that specific group. One person is no longer there and people should recognize that there's, you know, things are being looked at over here. So in any case, uh, the Medina also, if the Zuchuyot and everybody in it, Mirubot of, of everybody in it was Mirubot Alavonotehen, well, that's a tzaddik medina, right? Tzaddik and so to the opposite. And so to the entire world. The, the entire world may be judged. And if the world was judged as a whole, the world would be looked at in terms of the overwhelming zuchut and avon. It comes out from the overarching emergent status of the whole of the human population of the earth. Yeah. Now, Arambam doesn't say when this judgment happens. Right? As a matter of fact, he hasn't even said the word judgment yet at all. Notice, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because these are determinations, aren't they? I mean, these are, these are uh, a question of, is there rov avon and is there rov zahut? And if we see that there's rov avon, then we stamp this person tzaddik. And if there's rov avon, then we establish this person rasha. And if it's neither, stamp him benoni. Some assessment needs to be made. So carry on. I mean, Arambam continues. And he says, you know, once the establishment has been made, right, once it, it has been determined that there is either Rov Zechut or Rov Avon, there are ramifications of this. Specifically, Rov Avon is important for us to pay attention to because Rov Avon has very dire ramifications. Rov Avon has, has actually lethal ramifications. It is uh, life and death. And so he says that if you do have a person who is determined as a rasha, that person dies. Harambam says, miyad humit. Miyad humit, uh, literally means immediately. But we know that that doesn't mean the person just drops dead, right? As we'll see in the other examples that Harambam gives. What it means is, is that it is a direct. Uh, uh, Correlate, right? It is a direct cause and effect. So once the determination, determination has made, the direct effect of that cause is death. It may not occur immediately, but it is nothing, there are no other paths, right? There are no other options once the determination has been made. And so uh, we find that that's the case. Harambam says that's the case with the Medina as well. Bechen Medina, over here. Shavonotea Merubin. If a group of people, right, a self-determined group of people, a state, country, whatever, is judged, and it is found to be a rasha medina, which means that there is more avon than zechut, that medina also ovedet. It's not sustainable anymore. It is no longer sustained as a medina. It falls apart. What's the example that Harambam gives? Sodom, right? He could give Pompeii, but really he decides to give Sedom because it's familiar to all of us in the Torah. And Sedom, interestingly, in the Pasuk says, Zakat Sedom Vamora Kirab. Right? Hakadosh Baruch Hu says in the he goes, I'm hearing the alarm that is coming from the Sedom quadrant to be overwhelming, which means that 
something has occurred to the point where Sedom's iniquity is overwhelming and I have to deal with it. So the Rabbah is the role, right? The fact that it says the, the, the fact that the Za'akah's Rabbah, right? That the issues in Sodom are overwhelming or they are majority is connected to the idea of Rov. That's Rov. And since it's Rov Avon, it was not sustained. Did Sodom fall apart or get destroyed immediately? One, the determination was made that it's a, no, it didn't, but there were, it was, the process was put into motion. So it was just a matter of time, right? But nothing, there were no other options. Once the determination was made, Sodom's days were numbered. That's what Miyad means. And he says it over here, right? Miyad Right? So Miyad doesn't literally mean poof, done. It means like the Titanic, right? Took time for the Titanic to sink, but it was going no other direction, right? It was on its way down. Yeah. I mean, you know, the violinist kept playing until they... So that's the case. So to the entire earth. As we've seen, it says with regards to the entire earth, that the evil or wickedness of the human beings on earth was Rabbah, right? It was, it was overwhelming. It was it reached majority levels, right? And therefore, it needs to be taken out. And so what happens? A flood, right? This happened, right, only once. But, uh, so that tells you something about the nature of when this kind of judgment happens for the entire world. But nonetheless, it says, right? As far as the Torah is concerned, this was like decades, I mean, over a century. Between the time that it was a determined, I mean, God talks to Noah, he has to have build the whole Deba, right? So Miyad here, obviously, is not you know, poof, the minute that the determination, but it's sinking, right? It's on its way down and everything, you know, how people will say in a morbid way, get your affairs in order, right? So oh, affairs are gotten in order. Everything gets for it to be dropped. Okay. Now that that's that is the 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 basic template that Harambam has put out. And it's a very simple template. He's simply saying a determination is made with every human being, with aggregates of human beings, and for that matter, the entire world. And when it is found that there is majority avon, it no longer maintains existence on this earth, right? It, it, it falls apart in some way or another. When it's determined zechut, doesn't say. We assume the opposite. We assume, okay, I mean, it, the deen is not going to be the cause of the death. Right? In other words, they may just die because it's, it's time is up. Right? Nothing lives forever. And that's important to recognize that it's not the only way for things to die. It's just one way. Now what Harambam says is something else. He says, look, we've been talking about majority. right? We've been talking about what is the overwhelming status. One might make the mistake of thinking that this is a quantity question. And Harabam wants to make very clear that this is not a quantity question, but a quality question. And he says, first of all, it's important to know shikulze. Now, this is already the first time that he uses any kind of judgment type word, right? It's been assumed up until now. And again, he doesn't say judgment yet. What he says is shikul. And what is a shikul? The weighing. Right? So there is a weighing here of Zichut and Avon. 
which means what? There is some term, there's a determination being made, right? Is there an actual scale that's used? Obviously not. As we'll see, we're going to see what the scale is. It's a very high level, sophisticated scale. But it is nonetheless when we will say to somebody, I'm going to weigh the issues. What we mean is we're going to sit and contemplate and deal with them, right? We'll use that term, right? So this is a weight, a weight of what is major and what is minor, what is overwhelming and what isn't. Yeah, we look at that balance. And based on how it is that we find it will be the determination. So this is a shikul, and the shikul is not lefi minyan zechuyot ravonot. It's not about the quantity of zechut and avon. Because there may be several zechut and avon units. I, again, I have not said what zechut and avon is yet, right? But there may be ver, ver, several zechut and avon units. We don't count the units. Rather, what do we look at in terms of the weighing of the, uh, you know, the balance of this stuff and what outweighs one or the other? It is It's the magnitude, not the number. So you could have one zikhut unit that is quite significant because of the power or because of the, 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 you know, the quality of it. And you could have that vice versa. As Arambam says, Yesh zechut, she You can have a zechut that is so large, right, in its, in its magnitude, that it is equivalent to many units of avon that are much less in their magnitude. And you could have vice versa. You could have one avon that is massive in magnitude because of whatever it is that created it and its circumstances. Where there are not, there are many units of zikhut that are, you know, if you were to put them on the proverbial scale, they would balance. Everybody with me in the in the okay. Right? As it says, and there are psukim that show this. How do I know this? Because it says in Ya Nimsabo Davartov. This is about uh, Ahab, right? Very evil king. Yeah. He was uh, definitely Rovavon, but there was something that was good in him. And what Harabam is, is implying over here is that the one good thing in him was significant enough to be able to balance skills or to be able to be recognized as a real thing that can't be avoided. And it says in the Pasuk in Kohelet, one misstep can lose tons of good if it's a significant misstep. Now here is the final question. We recognize that there are zechuyot. We recognize that there are avonot. We recognize that it is a question of which outweighs which in order to determine who's a tzaddik and who's a rasha. Zechuyot that outweigh avonot for a person or an aggregate, consider the entity tzaddik. Avonot that outweigh zechuyot, consider the entity rasha. Balance here, right, where there's no significant outweighing on one side or the other, is benoni. It is balanced based on quantity, excuse me, quality, not on quantity. The only question left is, what are the scales? What is the, the device that determines this assessment? This weight, this balance occurs only in the knowledge of the God of all knowledge. It's a Kadosh Baruch Hu's determination. Now, there's an added word over here because this is also, this, right, this is not just some mechanical computation. 
You don't just input data. This is a, a weighing that requires a tremendous consciousness of assessment. So this is not just balance, this is assessment. How do I know that? Because Arabam says, who hayodea? He's the one who knows, and only he's the one who knows. Heach orchin hazechuyot keneged avonot. Very interesting uh, language here. It's the only time he uses it in the whole halacha. He's the only one who knows how we are orech. Orech means how we set out, right? Like shulchan aruch. Shulchan aruch means a set table. It's all set out. He's the only one who knows how we configure the zechuyot keneged the avonot. Right, so this is very important because the nature of this judgment or this determination is a judgment of interaction between Zichut and Avon and how they affect each other, not just as isolated entities, as we're going to see. It's very, very seriously that way. But remember that what we're looking at over here is an entire human being or an entire group of human beings. And that means that we're not looking at isolated entities. We are looking at integrated wholes of human beings, which includes Zechut and Avon. So the Zechut and Avonot must be looked at in relation to each other. And that interconnection, right, the relationship of Zechut and Avon is established only in, so to speak, the mind of God. He knows how to, how to base that. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Now, we haven't said anything about when this happens. Seems like this really only happens once because, you know, at least on the Avon side, you don't really have any other options. I mean, once uh, somebody's determined to be a Rasha, it's over. It's curtains. So there are no determinations here as to when this, this happens. Harambam says, interestingly, at the opening of the next, that's not the next halacha, but halacha gimal, he says, Keshem sheshoklin zuchuyot adam avonotah b'sha'at mitato. Kach b'chol shana b'shana shoklin avonotah shana. So this is a very telling line, because he says, just as judgment is established or made, at the time of a person's death, so too judgment occurs on Rosh Hashanah. Now that tells me many things. First of all, and I think most significantly, significantly it tells me that judgment doesn't happen on a constant basis. There are very specific times that judgment occurs. Otherwise, Rosh Hashanah wouldn't be a big issue because uh, why would Rosh Hashanah be different than any other day? Right, this is not, it's very important, right? From the first halakha, we also see this is not some automatic accrual of deeds and their implications. This is a very conscious assessment. And without assessment, there cannot be determination. So one cannot be determined Sadiq or Rasha simply because of the deeds that a person did. A person requires judgment to decide how the deeds, and remember, they're not necessarily deeds. We'll talk about that in one second. I'm getting there. How the deeds manifest in the person's life, determination is made, and then the person is then dubbed Tzaddik Rasha. But it's not just an automatic thing. In other words, if there is no judgment, 
there is no determination and a person doesn't have a status of Sadiq Rasha. Neither. It's very important to recognize. Deen is not ubiquitous. It isn't constant. It is why Rosh Hashanah, as an example, is such a major day. Because Deen is happening. Nobody's, I mean, Deen is uncomfortable. That means things are going to be looked at. But it also means that usually things aren't looked at. Certainly not in that way. And when Harambam is saying, no, it doesn't say it's a shat mitato. Shah can be the period of time that is now the question of whether this person should die or not. Right? That could be years before the person actually dies. Yeah. It could just be sinking ship. So what it's saying is that this requires judgment. Now, what are the zuchuyot and avonot? The zuchuyot and avonot are, as we were saying, qualitative. They're existential things, not elements of action. They may and indeed do emerge from, among other things, mitzvot and avonot. Right, so it would be logical to assume that a mitzvah yields zechut, and that an avera yields avon. Although the opposite can be true, a person can do an avera lishma, which is the hachamim speak about, and have it considered a zechut. You don't know about this, right? You have no idea whether it works this way or not, you know, whether it works for you or not. What you think is an avera lishma, kadosh baruch may not, but it is possible that one can do an Abirah Lishma and it becomes, it yields a chut. It's possible that a person can do a mitzvah thinking he's doing wonderfully and remember, they rip him up in his face and it yields avon. So the zechuyot and avonot are yieldings of action, circumstance, interaction, could be masim tovim, right? We talk about mitzvot, masim tovim, masim tovim. Well, they're not directly mitzvot, but nonetheless could yield zechut. Right? Okay? Right? So you understand what I'm saying. So these are existential terms. These are terms that are qualitative terms. What is the nature of this person's existence? And we see that in the roots of the words, the root of zechut, or at least, you know, a figurative way of looking at the root of zechut is uh, zach, which means pure. And avon is from arvut, which means corrupt. Not necessarily morally corrupt, it's just it's not set up properly. Right? It isn't pure. There's corruption in it. So the question is, what is overwhelming? If the entity is overwhelmingly corrupt, then it is considered a corrupt entity. It's a rasha. If the entity is overwhelmingly zechut and it is of merit or it's pure in its form, then it's a tadi. It's a righteous thing. It's, what does it mean? It's right. Now, it is possible in a person's lifetime, while they're still in the game, to make right what is not right. Are there things that the hachamim say are mi'uvat lo yuchalitkon? Yes, there are certain things that are so avut and oriented, that are so mangled, that they cannot be rectified. Or it takes a great deal to be able to rectify. But that is, by the way, why this is being brought in Hilchot Teshubah. Can these things be rectified? Is there Teshubah, right? And how does this manifest in a person's life? So this major judgment of is the person Sadiq or is the person Rasha is essentially, as far as we understand, one judgment. It happens at one point in a person's life. I mean, you can't judge a thing until the thing is done. I mean, what's the point of calling a game in the middle of the game? Right? Now you look at the score, 
but you can't say who won. I mean, plenty of games. And that's part of the joy of sports is that, you know, you think that everything's done. And like uh, Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. You don't call things until they are complete or until you're looking at whether it's really time to get out of the pool already, because things could be such a mess that it's time to call them out. So the dean here is not a daily dean. It's not a monthly dean, not even a yearly one. The dean that Harabam is speaking about at the beginning really happens once. What incurs that, we don't know. There are some uh, intimations as to what could cause a looking at a person's books, so to speak. So I brought a Gemara over here at the bottom. Very interesting one. Because, you know, we say every Friday night in the Mishnah, uh, there are three avonot, right? That a woman could, as a result of having done, lose her life in childbirth, right? Why lose your life in childbirth? There's judgment at that time. And in the judgment, if there are such avonot that manifest, right? Well, then it could be dangerous. So the Gemara says, well, that's women. What about men? They say, well, right? Well, the, the men, when are they checked? Most notice the Lashon is right? When are they checked? When are they assessed? What things could a man do that would incur checking, right? Would, would, would cause a judgment to, to, to uh, you know, be set off. When they cross a bridge, right? We're not talking about the Golden Gate over here, right? Or the Queen, you know, or what's it called? Yeah. We're talking about, you know, the old time bridges that used to be like these ratchety old, you know, things that every time that you cross one, you're taking a life in your hands. Well, why are you going into such a dangerous circumstance? You must be extremely confident. Let's check if this person really is, you know. So there's a says what? Only bridges? Is that like something unique about bridges that causes people? No, obviously not. Kain Geshev. Anything like that. Circumstances where you are on solid ground and suddenly you put yourself into a situation which is dangerous. You go into a condemned building which could fall down at any moment. Get out of it. Why are you in there in the first place? You put yourself in that situation, you're going to close the... So the Gemara says that. Rav, Lav Arba they say, Rav himself, Lav He would never cross a bridge where a goy was sitting on, or his, you know, his president on. Why? This is the craziest. This is, no, no. The next, the next line is nuts. Why wouldn't he cross a bridge if there was a non-Jew on the bridge? I said, well, I mean, the non-Jew could be living in a way that would cause judgment, right? He might not be careful. And if his judgment is one that the bridge should snap and collapse, and I'm on the bridge at the same time, well, I get stuck on his judgment. Right? This is what he says. He'll have a dean, I'll get stuck in his dean, which is shocking. 
because it means that you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Which has full implications on last week's, uh, well, not last week, week before, sure, in terms of providence, right? That shows very, very clearly that there are random circumstances. You could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You could be in the wrong car. At least in terms of how the Gemara is presented, right? Okay, the point of this Gemara, why I put it here? Because there are things that a person seems to be, that a person can do, right? Harambam doesn't elaborate on this, at least not in the Halachot. But the Gemara talks about it, right? It's possible that a person could call attention if they put themselves into dangerous situations. Okay. The point of this is, is that these judgments do not happen on a regular basis. So, of course, the next question then is, as it is apropos for our time of year, what's the deal with Rosh Hashanah? Well, Rosh Hashanah is interesting. So, yeah. Rosh Hashanah is interesting. Rosh Hashanah is not this. Rosh Hashanah is an interim assessment. So there are yearly progress reports that occur. And they don't just occur for us. This is for the whole world. Why is it for the whole world? Because it makes sense that it should be, because we recognize Rosh Hashanah as Hayom Harat Olam, as we say over and over and over again in the prayers. Right? Not like the Ashkenazim say Hayom Haras Olam, which means that it was destroyed. Hayom Harat Olam. This is the day that the world was conceived, right? So the conception of the world. We recognize Rosh Hashanah as the day that we pay attention to that, right? Whatever the anniversary of that actually means. It's very hard to talk about an anniversary before time began, right? But I think Professor Lapin spoke about that some time back. Whatever the case may be, it's not for our purposes tonight. The point is that there is one day each year in which God assesses his creation. Judgment, right? How's it going? And that is a how's it going judgment. It is not a final determination judgment. We, as Israel, members of the covenant, are the only ones who are privy to this and have the opportunity to mutually engage in that process. You can engage in this. How do you see yours? I'm letting you know. I assess the world once a year and I look at its progress, you can be engaged in that and have effect in court as to what it is, that it, how it is this manifests. That's all I'm going to say about that because I'm not going to launch into a shiur on Rosh Hashanah, but I've spoken about this many, many, many times. But that's essentially what Rosh Hashanah is. Rosh Hashanah is an interim assessment. Why is that important? Because it's important to kind of have a clue as to how we're doing. And so that happens every single year. And what's interesting is that whatever it is that occurs or whatever determination is made on Rosh Hashanah is locked until the next Rosh Hashanah. So if a person is determined to be as he is or she is now, tzaddik, that's held until the next Rosh Hashanah. It doesn't matter what a person does the rest of the year. That may have effect on the following Rosh Hashanah, but the assessment on the Rosh Hashanah never change, does not change until the following Rosh Hashanah. <coughs> So Maran Rosh Hashanah says, for example, what happens if God says, well, you know, I determined that this particular uh, city or country 
uh, should get this much rain. And it's locked in. And they don't behave in a way that the term or that is befitting or is warranting of that kind of rain. Well, the, number, the amount of rain doesn't change. It's already been determined. It's just how it falls changes. So if it was supposed to be a small amount of rain, well, they get spot irrigation in very strategic places that works for them. You know, if they do better, or if there was supposed to be a lot of rain and they mess up, then it just, you know, falls in the worst time in the worst place. Right? Why is that important? It seems a little silly and childish, right? Why is that important? Because judgment is not a joke. That's why. And it does not happen on a regular basis. Sorry? Okay, so this question is, are there appeals? And who wants to appeal? A tzaddik would not likely want to appeal. A rashat doesn't necessarily have a huge amount of opportunity to appeal until next year. A benoni doesn't have a closed judgment until Kippur. It's a pending judgment, as Harambam uh, explained. So you see, the language is different over here, and it's important to see the difference in the language. He says, just as there is this determination at the time of a person's, you know, when a person's life is coming to a close, you're being called in question, the completion of a person's life, just as there's assessment at the end of the game, there are interim assessments as to progress. And that occurs every year on Rosh Hashanah. And therefore, sorry, I should be over here. Whoever is found to be a tzaddik on Rosh Hashanah, they are sealed for life. That sealed business wasn't spoken about until now. Nor did we talk about what the tzaddik was going to be dealt because obviously it's tzaddik, okay, I mean, nothing to talk about. Here, nechdam al-hayim means this person is sealed as a living person before God. If a person is found to be a rasha, nechdam lemita, they are sealed for death. That doesn't mean that they die. There's no miyad humit, right? Not like, like oh, the, sink is ship, uh, the ship is sinking. No, they are labeled dead or destined for death. And you can imagine that the way that the person is related to is uh, very different depending on how a person is determined on such judgments, right? That doesn't mean that those things can't change. Those things can change the following Rosh Hashanah. But it doesn't change between them because there are no other judgments. The Benoni Tolinoto, the Benoni is pending. Meaning there is a judgment on Rosh Hashanah the person is found to be a benoni, whether he's nechdam lemita or hayim is pending, because it's not an automatic uh, determination, right? We see that that's what the person is found to be a benoni. Do we consider this person to be a, 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 a what's it called? A tzaddik? Excuse me, lehayim or lemita? Nechdam We keep him until kippur. And if between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, that person did Teshubah, and it's the only thing the person could do, if there is not Teshubah done, the person could do a ton of mitzvot. It doesn't matter. Because the ton of the mitzvot could still be in the same state as the Benoni is in. What the Benoni needs to do is question the entire context of his life, right? I have to decide how I want to live. If the person does Teshubah in the interim, which now is contextually redefining the nature of his Benoniut, well then, he's a nechtam nechayim. If he does not do teshuvah, 
the Benoni in his default is Nechtam Lemita. Does that mean that the person dies that year? No. People make this huge mistake thinking that whether a person lives or dies during the next year is determined on Rosh That's not the case. Rosh Hashanah has no direct implications on actual pulse uh, beating. It has to do with the status of a person before the eyes of God, which is significant. Right? How God relates to you and uh, looks at you is significant in terms of a person's life. Okay, we good so far. Okay. I'm thinking what to do with this point. I'd like to, for the last 15 minutes, present the final point. But I also want, I'm, I'm conscious that you'll have questions. So if you're worried that you're going to forget the questions of this section, which will likely be distracted in the next section, right? I don't usually do that, but I'm, I realize that what I'm about to tell you will distract you from this section. So if you have any questions, I would suggest you write them down. And now what Harambam does, he gets into the nitty gritty. And he's not just talking about what a tzaddik is and what a rasha is and when deen happens and who's doing the deen and so on and so forth. And what is the quality of things at what time? Now he gets into the actual deen, right? Now, this has nothing to do with the fact that God is determining these things. God determines these things. But he's talking about principles. And there is a principle of how judgment occurs. And Harambam is bringing this from the Talmud, right? Obviously. The Ravad, in his Hagahot on the Rambam, says the Rambam made a big mishkababble of everything. He ruined everything. He misunderstood. He mixed things up. He did a, did a disaster. <coughs> the problem is the Ravad did not have the girsa that Harambam did, which Maran, because of Mishneh, points out. He said all he had to do was read the reef. They would have seen that the reef's girsa was like Harambam's girsa. And as far as that is concerned, everything is very, very clear that this is the way that the hachamim tend to see it, or seem to see it, right? Again, how the hachamim know this is a whole other question. We are simply looking at this as it is taught in normative Judaism from a Maimonidean perspective, as he understands the Talmud, right? But Harambam is not the only one, the Reef saw it, but Harambam is delineated. What does Harambam say about the actual nature of the judgment itself? He says as follows. Again, we're back to the shikul, right? So God, remember, is the, is the scale. <coughs> and he says, Notice, it's im zechuyotav, right? The, when we weigh the zechuyot of the person with his avonot, right? We look at them together, how they, they manifest together. Well, the first thing that's important to know is the first three zechuyot that are tethered to any particular action, deed, situation, excuse me, the first three avonot that are connected to any particular situation, whatever it is that created these avonot, right? If it happened more than once, the first three instances are not looked at. They don't come into the weight. They're not put on the scale. Yeah? So take a look. 
בשעה שקוראים, אין מחשבין עליו עוון שחטא בו תחילה ולא שני, אלא משלישי ואילך. Right? So the first two are not, I said the first two because that has to do with the aggregate, right? But here it's the first two. So the first two instances that created this uh, similar avon, right? Whatever the chet was that created the similar avon, the first two instances are not measured in the initial measurement. Why is that important? Because we're determining whether the person is sadiq or rasha. So the first two do not show a pattern. Right? So until pattern is shown, right, we don't consider them. We look at the person's status without the first two instances. And we see if without the first two instances, the person is Sadiq Rasha with whatever it is that outweighs. So if with the removal of the first two instances, Avon still outweighs, Well, then we see that these were indeed patterns, right? This was the beginning of a pattern, right? Because you don't have pattern until you have three. And we include them. We then put them on the scale, right? If we find that without these, a person's sadiq, well, then a very interesting thing occurs. What's your question? Just, just like the, what you mentioned before, so it's, it's very important. This is a question of what's put on the scale. Not how do we look at the things on the scale. What is put, right? So I have units of Avon and Zechut, correct? The units of Avon and Zechut are put on the scale. And then I look at them, but I don't like the idea of being put on the scale. We, we kind of like put them in a, in a collage, yeah? The only things that make it... So in the collage, we start to look at magnitude. Yeah. The question is, which, which units are included? That is a question of units. Right? So I'm going to see there's unit A, B, C, D, E of this particular head. So human A and B are not even going to be included in the collage. We leave them out. So the assessment doesn't include those units. You follow what I'm saying? No? Yeah. I'm just thinking about the bridge incident. So effectively, if you go on the bridge, well. The bridge is not a head. The bridge is not looked at as a head. The bridge is just, okay, you're triggering a, a dean. Yeah, well, I guess like the golden top incident, like that was yeah. a big. Uh, yeah, it was big. Which kept on coming up. Right. Correct. But it's well, it was one unit. One unit, yeah. Right. So whether that unit would be included in the judgment of that particular cohort of people, right, which we don't know whether they had a judgment at all or when it might have been, and so on and so forth, yeah. would based be based on this, right? But you'll see that aggregates have. A little slightly different thing. For the aggregate, it's three and four instead of two and three. Okay? All right. Everybody with me? Okay. What happens if in the assessment of zikhuyot with avonot, it is found that the zikhuyot outweigh the avonot? Well, very interesting happens. Arambam says, as the Gemara does, im tziyum. If we find that the zikhuyot outweigh the avonot once they're put into the assessment appropriately, the, the avonot looked at in relation to the zikhuyot are forgiven. But they're forgiven one by one. Because there is a pasuk that says, 
Right, you know that everybody knows that pasuk because it's all over Yom Kippur, right? The halachic definition of that is we look at the avonot one by one in terms of their relation to zechuyot. And if the, now this is very important, the person has already been determined a tzaddik because he has a rob zechuyot. The question is, what do we do with his avonot? Do we judge them or do we forgive them? And what Harabam is saying is that once the person is determined that tzaddik, the avonot that are in the assessment are forgiven one by one, simply by the fact that the person is a tzaddik and he has rov zechut. So you look at Harabam. He goes, now, im nimtzehu avonotav meshiva erech mirubin. Oh, sorry. This is the other way. Yeah. I want to read it in this case first, then I'll go back to the other one. If we find that there is this like even assessment now of these zikhuyot and avonot, each avon is looked at as it's the first. And since it's the first, it doesn't come into play. And that's removed. And then the next one moves up to first position. And severa pushed away. And the next one moves up to first position. Pushed away. Because what was third is now considered first, because the first two weren't recognized. And so this is the first instance. And since he has a chuyot kenegdan, they are removed. The first two were already forgiven, and this one now becomes first and is forgiven. So to the fourth one, once the third one is pushed away, now this becomes first. It becomes first. And that's how it goes till the end, till they're done. Which implies a very, very major point. And that is that a tzaddik is not judged on the avonot themselves, which means there's no direct judgment and punishment on the avonot themselves because they're forgiven. Now, what's if, what happens if it's the alternative? When does judgment happen? A person is found to be a rasha. If a person is found to be a rasha, if even after removing the first two, the avonot outweigh the zechuyot, then then we bring in the first two, because we see that there was a clear pattern here. They're included in the assessment. And we judge the person, or they judge the person, on all of it. And notice that's only with the person who's a rasha, not the person who's a The person who's a is judged on everything, that every avon that he has in his, in his repertoire. When is this the case? That's with a yahid, with individuals. With aggregates, as it says in the pasuk, by the way, this is from a yov. This whole thing is built on a pasuk and a yov, which is astonishing, right? But the hachamim want to establish it on something, so they bring it in. God does all of this with human beings uh, uh, twice and three times with a, a person. Now, a person, an aggregate of individuals, the first three are left out 
Meaning the first three iniquities or whatever things that create the iniquities of this group of people that they might have done collectively are left out. Until the fourth one. As it says, Al Shilosha Pisha Israel Right? Three Pishaim of Israel, but on the fourth, I'm not letting it slide. Right? Right? So when you look at the aggregate, we look at the fourth. And that's what we put in. Now, these people that are benonim, right? If among their avonot that are being forgiven, right? One of them happens to be that this person never put on tefillin in his life. There's judgment on that one. So even though normally they would be nimchal, that one gets judgment. It's an interesting wall, but that's that's how the Achadim put it out. And I say, "Habenunim imayav echlal mechsa avonotah shelehem shelo hiniach tefillin meolam danino to kefihet o." We judge him as per that specific transgression, and that means it could be judged with different people differently. Maybe you didn't even know Tefillin existed. Maybe you knew Tefillin existed, but you had Syria, whatever the case may be. But if that is one of the things, it's judged. Interestingly. Also, we could do a whole leap into a question of why that's the case, but that's not our purposes tonight. We're simply looking at, looking at the case that's presented to And once he's judged, a person has his place, is able to access his place in Olam Abba. Not only is a Benoni who has to be judged on a non-Tefillin life uh, accessing, olam, assessing, uh, accessing Olam Abba, the Rasha has to. Because the Rasha, even though the Rasha is judged, doesn't mean that the Rasha loses Olam Abba. The judgment is in order to be able to admit the Rasha into Olam Abba. You just can't not judge him because, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, he's got to have repercussions to what it is that he did in his life. The fact that he led, he led an overwhelmingly Wicked life that requires response, but once that response has been made and the judgment has been determined, why should call Israel just because they're Shaim doesn't mean they're not Israelim anymore, they're just Rishayim, yeah. Even though they sinned, as it says in the Pasuk. Your whole nation are tzaddikim. Eventually they get there. You know, it may be an arduous journey, but they eventually get there. Yeah? Okay. Question. What is that? Mean in terms of, uh, the, whether that's included, the fourth and third? No. No. That's only what we know about Israel. Uh, the Roman seems to talk about the Russia and the Bain and the left us Yeah. Why would he do that and not get the Russian? Because the Benoni is the Hidush. The Tzaddik is obvious. Once I know the Benoni, then I recognize the Tzaddik very clearly. The Tzaddik, simply by being Tzaddik, is Yeshla is, Khelek. Uh, the Benoni, we have to know well, what are we going to do with all of his Avanot? And is that concept from basically of? Say again. Is that I mean, if you can't cancel out all the zechiyot, right? Say it again. I'm sorry. If you cancel out all the zechiyot, yeah, all the avonot, all the avonot, yeah. Oh, so the zechiyot don't go with them. No. Okay. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, only the avonot. Yeah. 
Okay, so there was another section that I was going to give you, which we're not going to do tonight, which is a, it's more specific, even, right? And it has to do with a person who is living a life overwhelmingly in terms of avon, and the fact that it is possible that a person doesn't have opportunity to shuga as a result of it. But that will be for another shiur. We'll do that another shiur. But these are the principles. I think that one of the most important, there's so many important things in here, but one of the most important things is that the system is set up as we accept and understand it to allow for the most opportunity to be able to share with HaKadosh Baruch what we would call a lot Right? And one of the things that, one of the lines that is brought in the Gemara and the discussions around this is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is notek lapechesed. His whole you know, uh, emphasis and move and shift and direction is in terms of giving life in all of its facets. And so it's a very significant point because we don't think in these terms most often. And probably the reason we don't think in most of these terms is because we would be quite nonchalant with our lives and assume, well, it'll all work out in the end, which is not the way to go. Because Arambam in this very same parak says, you've got to wake up and pay close attention to what it is that we're doing and recognize that our deeds have real ramifications and that we need to live a conscious life because it's not so easy just to say, well, I'm a tzaddik. We have no clue. Let's be honest. We really have no idea how it is that our things fall. And that's why Rosh is very important for us to be active in because it is important for us to actually assess and look at ourselves as we come to it in the most realistic way. Very, very few people do this actively. Very few people actually sit down and look at my life, what it is that I have done, how it is that I behave with myself, with other people, so on and so forth, and with God for that matter. And it's important because they make a huge difference in terms of the nature of how it is that we live, and for that matter, the nature of our existential state. Right? in terms of what is who's considered so deep in Russia. You look terribly distraught. Uh, no, um, self, what self-assessment work if we said right at the beginning, only Hashem knows how to evaluate. Self-assessment is important because you need to have some clue as to how you're doing in your life. It might be misleading. I might have a completely different assessment from the real assessment. You may. You may, which is why you use all that you can in order to be able to recognize what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want and what doesn't he. You don't look at what it ultimately is that's coming out in the end. You're looking at what have I done and that you have full capacity to do. Nobody's saying you decide whether you're a tzaddik or rasha. I'm saying look at your life. See what it is that you're doing. What is the trajectory of your life? Where will you end up if you continue living the way that you're living now? Will it look good? Will it not look good? And we recognize vectors can be very severe outcomes with just slight veering, right? I mean, tennis pros, how do they know where to place the ball every single time they hit it? And what is the shift? It's like a slight tilt of the racket. It makes all the difference in the world. And it makes a huge difference in our lives. That's why Harambam says elsewhere, right? He says, it's all a question of choosing a derech. And it's not even choosing that, it's note, he says, which way, which direction do you want to be facing? So a very important principle of life is your first step should always be in the direction you want to go. Those things are extremely important. 
And those things we hope end up in the right place. So the question is, why do you get up in the morning? Do you get up in the morning in order to be able to be a tzaddik? Well, then it defines the whole of your life. It doesn't mean that you, make, you don't make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. The question is, is your mistake on the path to becoming a tzaddik or is your mistake on the path to becoming a rasha? And what's a mistake? And if a person gets up in the morning to become a rasha, and nobody gets up and says, I want to be a rasha today, but they say equivalence, right? Mistakes are, I, I was a little bit too nice or <laughs> whatever it is. But the bottom line is, is that most of us are neither. Most of us just get out of bed. And that we do very well. So that is an important determination. What is your purpose? Where do you wish to end up? Are you living deliberately? And that really does make a huge difference in terms of the specific actions of our lives. They will determine the nature and context for everything that we do. And it will also be very much a major rule for the way that we live our lives. If I know that my goal genuinely is to become a righteous person, I don't just mean a good person, right? Certainly not a nice person. People mistake nice for good all the time. But if my life is to be a righteous person, which means that I want to make myself right and whatever I can in the world right, that's what it means to be righteous, to find where things are wrong and make them right, mostly in myself to whatever capacity in the world around me. If that is my purpose, well, then that makes a huge difference in terms of what it is that we do with our lives because when we don't have so many decisions to make. The more decisions we have to make, the more we fail because we're at the mercy of wherever it is our brain is at the time. But if we have a law that we live by, and I mean this in the broader sense, right? I am determined to be a righteous person. Then that will be the determining factor of our life. It doesn't mean that we won't fail. We will. You can be sure of that but it will have severe implications on the overall outweighing outcome of the nature of our lives. And that is not just about deed. It includes study as well, because what I think is right at 20 years old may not be what I think is right at 30 or 40 years old. As a matter of fact, the likelihood is that there should be some significant shifts in a person's experience if they're really looking and searching for what's right. That's enough of my little sermon. I don't know. Do you want me to answer some questions on here or are we off for time? Well, you have one question? Yes, sir. Um, I don't understand um, the difference between the Benoni and the Benoni and then, you know, the same thing with the Shabbat. And that's why you decided if that's righteous or not. No, no. It's not, um, one is not decided whether one is righteous or not on Yom Kippur. The Benoni is only judged as to whether he's nechtam lemita or lehayim on Yom Kippur. He remains a benoni. That does not change. The benoni is determined as a benoni on Rosh Hashanah, and he will remain a benoni for the rest of the year until the next Rosh Hashanah, unless he changes his ways. What will be determined on Kippur is whether he's nechtam lehayim or lemita. A benoni can be nechtam lemita if he does nothing, if he remains, and he can be nechtam lehayim if he does teshuvah. Does that make sense? No, you still have a question? No, well, slightly, just that in, in the last section, we just understood that the Benoni doesn't, meaning he still has Olam Ba, but so can you be in that state? Olam Ba is not something that you should be concerned about really with the Rosh Hashanah judgment. You should, but not. 
Right. Because Olam Abba is not determined until life closes. No, so I'm saying in Olam Abba, I'm just wondering there's three stages of Olam Abba. There's the Krashad, there's the Tzaddik. No. And then there's the Berenik. Uh, everybody's Olam Abba is whatever their Olam Abba is. It's not like you have three, three uh, you know, social halls in Olam Abba. We don't know what's going on in Olam Abba. We just know that people can be admitted. Who's admitted? He said that being that Adam Messiah was coming and changes how we're related to by God. It's just a question if a person is a walking dead person, and then you know it's a different being a alive and an engaged person. So according to Rambam, the Rosh Yeah, that is <laughs> quite practical. It's very much about how it is that Akadosh Baruch relates. To his world, interacts with his world. I'm just looking. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have uh, it's the thing is where is that? I see, but I just want to see. Is the Rambam really saying that someone judged as a Roshan or Shana does not have the opportunity to use the days between Roshan and to tip the scales? There is no opportunity after Rosh Hashanah to change one's status. One could have an opportunity to be able to, to affect how the verdict is given, right? how it's actually meted out, but the status cannot change. That doesn't change. Who's, where's Ben? Ben, yes, sir. Um, yes, go ahead. Uh, I was just wondering. Wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. I was just wondering, what was... Avraham's. Uh... Hey, hey, hey. No. You hear me? Where are you? Are you in here? Uh, <laughs> I don't know where you are. I can't can you hear. Can you hear me? Where is he coming from? I did. I know. I'm trying to know where he's coming out of, but I can't hear. Would you like me to type instead? Okay, Iwa. Try, yeah. Try it again. Sorry. Hello. Can you? Hear Iwa. Me? Go ahead. Okay. Thank Sorry, you for I'll... the seventh time. Just carry on. <laughs> I was just wondering, um, given we used the example of Saddam, what was Avraham trying to achieve by counting the number of tzaddikim and tefillah to God? If the if it has been sealed for death and that's the end of it. Was he trying to separate them? Was he trying to reassess their judgment? Like, it seems yeah. like it was overwhelmingly bad. It seems like it was overwhelmingly bad. And that's exactly what, what, what Abraham was dealing with. I want to understand the nature of judgment with you. Like, what, what, what is it that considers a city savable or not? And so Akadosh Baruch Hu was saying, listen, if there is Davar Tov, right? It may be that they're significant. If there's a Tzaddik, in that city, I'm telling you that I will, if there was 10 or whatever it is that they keep in the city, I'm telling you, it will help not have the tip the scales. And really, it's not like people people tell it where like Abraham said, can I please go find some Sadiqim? Hold on one second, I'm going to look. That's not what happened. It was a di dialogue of, of, of theory. Would you save it for this? Would you save it for that? Would you save it for this? I'm telling you, Abraham, if there were that many people in the city, I wouldn't have done this. But unfortunately, it was like a pedagogue. It was like a, a almost a yeah, pedagogical because, because exercise. What, what, what happens is this is after Breed. 
So Abraham, so all of a sudden, Kadosh Baruch Hu's like, I'm chasim Abraham, Asher and Yosef. I mean, he's my partner. I, all of a sudden, I've got a partner in the world. I'm not going to tell him. What is it I'm doing? I already determined the whole thing. I better tell him, listen, there's a situation with Saddam. I, mean, I think you got to, and Abraham is saying, well, I don't understand. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Who said that that's, I want to understand what your system is. If you had this many people in the city that were tzaddikim, would it be the same judgment? No, it wouldn't be the same judgment. What about this many people in the city? No, it wouldn't be the same judgment. How about this many? No, really? There's not even that many people in it. Sorry. Sorry. Do you hear what I'm saying, Ben? Yeah, thank okay. you. Yes. All right. We don't know what manifestation those 10 people will have had in that city or the impact that those people will Again, it's not a matter of numbers as much as it is. That's what Abraham is asking. You, know, you have 10 people that are living righteous lives. What is the manifestation of that in the in the assessment of the city? Right? It won't change our status between Hashem and Kapoor. Then what are the 10 days of Shabbat for? And um, why did the rabbis write the prayers they did about the possibility to change? I days. can't answer for the Ashkenazi prayers. Oh, you don't have things like we that? We don't have things like that. Well, the Sfaradim do not have things like that. Nor do we, we don't, we don't. Harambam is, you know, what we base pretty much everything on. So we don't have the opportunity, the opportunity to change. <laughs> but the 10 days of Teshubah, which remember, start on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. It's not like in between Rosh Hashanah. The 10 days start on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Right. Those days are, we assuming that we're Benonim, right? And there are opportunities for us to achieve Hayim, right? To hopefully show that we're interested in life. Which is why the whole language of the tefillah, which we do share, is zuchrenu right. right? We want life. We're interested in life. We're interested in living a clear and strong life. Which is why the the parasha that we read right before Rosh Hashanah is always nitzavim, which is always ubachalta b'chayim. Right? Chazal did that on purpose. Okay. Good. Very good. All right, everyone. It was lovely to have this four-part series with you. I hope that you enjoyed it and benefited from it. I certainly did. I liked having the opportunity to give it, and Bizrat Hashem look to many others uh, to come. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was wonderful. Great. That's all for now, folks. Have a wonderful day.